Hello and welcome to The Joy of Fundraising, a Tiltify podcast, episode number two, where we're going to be talking about all things livestream fundraising and anything else in the philanthropic world. I am one of your hosts, Daniel I. Casper Bong. I am the community manager for Tiltify. And joining me for the very first time is my lovely co-host, the social media coordinator for Tiltify, Miss Maggie Draskia. Hello. How are you doing today, Maggie? I'm doing wonderful, thanks. Well, it's wonderful to have you on, of course. Episode number one was myself and our CEO and co-founder, Mr. Michael Wasserman, where we talked about all things Tiltify. But for future episodes, it's going to be myself and Draskia kind of holding down the fort and talking to our amazing guests for all of the topics that we have for future episodes. Uh, Of course, we are going to have Michael back eventually. But for episode number two, we are actually talking about collaboration and compassion in fundraising. And who better to actually have join us for this episode? None other than Miss Meg Cayley. She is a Twitch broadcaster, a freelance on-camera and live live stage host. Uh, She is a former leader of Team Sin Squad, which is a community-based broadcasting team that raised over $200,000 during the St. Jude Play Live prize season in 2018, and she is a current member of Main Menu, a broadcasting team that has contributed over half a million dollars to charity over the last eight years. So Meg, welcome to our podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited. Obviously a big fan of your platform. I've used it a lot, so I'm very excited to be here today. It's actually really amazing to have Meg join us, not just because we're personal friends or anything like that, but because she is always the one that we talk about internally. Um, Just to share some stories, I remember we have a work retreat every year and we kind of plan out what we want to work on, what we want to develop for our platform, for our fundraising platform, for users and fundraisers and charities to have. And every year, without a shadow of a doubt, we always refer to something that Meg has sent in or something that Meg has done on our platform, whether it's her- Really? Yeah, whether it's your innovative uses of our tools for fundraising, which we'll talk about at some point during this podcast, I'm sure, uh, or just that really nice letter. I think you remember this. It was 2017, I believe, maybe even 2016, uh, where you sent in a letter to our general email address, just thanking us for providing a platform that enables you to be the best fundraiser that you can be. Uh, it was really cute. <laughs> we actually read it out to all of the staff. Uh, Draskia actually <laughs> wasn't there that. yet. But yeah, Not we yet. we read it out to absolutely everyone. We absolutely love you at Tiltify. And Aww, uh, when, I, when I told the team, <laughs> so yeah, we wanted to actually make you cry at the start of this podcast. That's ultimately wow, what the I didn't know this was, was an emotional. <laughs> <laughs> We're totally ganging up on you. Um, but of course, again, we have Meg Cayley joining us for episode number two. Uh, she is super experienced in the fundraising world. Uh, she's done a lot of collaborative fundraising. She has a lot of compassion for a lot of different organizations. And that's definitely something that I want to talk about. So Let's just jump right into it. Meg, I wanted to start by asking you kind of how you got started, Uh, how you got started with broadcasting, how you got started with content creation, and then how did you eventually get to this crazy world of fundraising? Sure. So I was born in 1997. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I did start creating content when I was really young. I started creating YouTube videos when I was 12. Uh, Those are all now privated. They were like really cringy, terrible skits that I just 
don't ever want to look at, but will look at as a charity incentive, actually. Um, but basically, what inspired me to start creating content was for me, um, as you know, like a middle schooler and a teenager, um, we all have hard times that we go through. And something that really helped me was watching YouTubers that I really liked and watching content creators that I found funny and that could make me laugh and smile when I felt down. Um, and so I wanted to be able to do what I could to then do that for other people because so many had done it for me. Um, and once I started YouTube, that was kind of a, a good entry point for me. But when I discovered streaming, I loved it so much more because you have that live interaction. You get to talk to people in real time. Um, you can impact somebody's day during, you know, when it's actually happening, there's a lot more interactivity than there is with responding to comments and stuff. So I quickly fell in love with that and really loved that format. Um, and I realized that the positive impact that I wanted to make could be extended even further with charity streams and things like that. So within my first like two months of streaming, I did a charity stream. Um, and it was actually before I knew Tiltify existed. So it was really hard to like, kind of manage that and do incentives and things like that. But I only had maybe like 10 viewers and we fundraised for Make-A-Wish and I just really wanted to do something in the spirit of the holidays. Um, and then a year later was when we did our first Toys for Tots fundraiser and uh, it blew up way more than I thought it would, which was an amazing surprise. Um, and from there, I've just loved periodically doing charity fundraisers. Um, and I think talking with charity reps too and, and kind of getting to have those hands-on experiences has really driven my passion as a fundraiser as well. Um, and it's just so cool the way you can tie together streaming and, and fundraising. And it's been a very exciting journey for me so far. Yeah, no, that's that's fantastic to hear. And I know that you mentioned a couple of things there that I want to touch on. Um, when you made content when you were younger and you say that oh, it's super, no. when you say it's super cringy, <laughs> I've actually seen some of these videos. And one, number one, you are actually the most creative, like 12 year old that I've ever seen Thanks. in my entire life. <laughs> As a as a former teacher, it's like I've worked with kids uh, many, many times and they're creative and they have their very innovative ideas. But just the the content that you actually put together, I could never imagine myself as a 12 year old actually being able to do. <laughs> and I know there's there's a slight generational gap there. Like I'm, I'm a couple uh -huh. years older, but still it's like it, it's wonderful to see that one, you're able to make content at such a young age and two, you're able to kind of translate that into your later years. And again, content that you made from years ago, you can definitely use as an incentive. And I'm sure we'll we'll oh, touch yeah. on that. We'll touch on that. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's hard to look back at now, but it's yeah. I mean, that creativity did kind of stem early on for me. So I want to jump more into uh, kind of your career. So you started streaming sure. how long ago? About four or five years now? Uh, it's been like four and a half years now, which is crazy. Yeah, that <laughs> is, <laughs> that is crazy. And to also look at you as uh, a person that's what, 23 turning 24 pretty soon. Is that correct? 22 turning 23. 22 turning. <laughs> this is why in a, <laughs> in a couple months, you are so incredibly young for your age, but so incredibly I feel old. <laughs> yeah. And I, I feel like a lot of content creators feel that way. I mean, myself, mm -hmm. I'm I'm 29 years old. I'm heading into my 30s and Draskia is also 30 herself. And it's just like, mm -hmm. we're, we're the old guard. We've been here for five, six. For me, it's almost eight years now on Twitch uh, and even Justin TV. But then Meg just walks on in here. She's like, yeah, I've been live streaming for four and a half years and I've accomplished so many things, uh, including your hosting. Uh, so actually. have you, I, firstly. Okay, we, this isn't <laughs> about me. This episode's about you <laughs> and collaborative <laughs> fundraising. But... But let's go back to you and your hosting. So you're 22, and a couple years ago, you actually got an opportunity to work with GameStop as a uh, as a host, correct? 
Yeah. Um, so that's been an, a very interesting experience for me as well, because when I was younger, I was I, I liked public speaking. And, um, you know, when they would pick on kids in the class to read out a paragraph, like I would always get excited to do that and would want to like really enunciate and put some passion into whatever paragraph I was assigned. Um, but I would also get nervous. Like if everybody had a project, I wouldn't want to be called on. I would try to hide, like I would not want to do it, but when I actually did it, I would kind of enjoy it. Um, the first time that somebody told me I should do hosting was actually in high school. I took a TV studio class and it was one of the few classes that I really, really loved that teacher was like my favorite teacher I've ever had um and he had us like pair up and do mock interviews in front of the class and at the end he said to me like one-on-one -on -one, he was like you were really good at that I could definitely see you doing like interviews someday and maybe having a talk show like Ellen and I straight up laughed and was like that there's absolutely no way I would ever want to do something like that like I would be way too nervous I would not be good at that at all um and then years later I went on to kind of find that I actually really did have a passion for that hosting in general, the first hosting thing I ever did was with Ubisoft for Assassin's Creed Origins. We did kind of a preview stream showing off the game before it was released. And it was scary. I was terrified beforehand. But after <laughs> it was done, I felt so invigorated and fulfilled like I hadn't felt before from something that I had done. So that was kind of a, a key to me that this was something I wanted to do more of. For GameStop, the opportunity with that kind of came up after I was doing sponsored work with them for stream stuff. And they were screen testing for new hosts for GameStop TV. And they reached out and were like, are you interested? And I was really shocked to get that email because I had very, very minimal. The only hosting experience I had was the Ubisoft thing. Um, and I said, yes, of course. And I flew out for the screen test. And I thought there was absolutely like no way I was going to get it. But I went crazy preparing. I was interviewing my sister and her stuffed animals to like <laughs> prep for the audition. Um, I had like some paragraph that I found online about breadsticks uh, that I was using to practice teleprompter reading. Uh, was, okay. I don't know why it was about breadsticks, but it was a good <laughs> good topic matter, I would say. Um, and I went and I somehow got it. And I was so happy to have that opportunity. It was a really good experience for me. And I learned a lot. And it was able to open a lot of other doors for me with hosting. I hosted for maybe about six months. And then I really wanted to do more behind the scenes. So I reached out to our producer and I was like, can I write some of the show? And he was like, you know, we're not, we're not really looking for writers right now. And then I was like, well, I wrote some stuff. Like, here's here's some writing samples. Would you be able to just look at them for me and, you know, give me some feedback and tell me what you think? Uh, and so he did. And then I went back and edited him, them and sent him the edited versions. And he was really happy with how I had modified it based off of his feedback. So then he called me and he was like, are you interested in writing half of the show with me? So I said, absolutely, yes. And then from there, I got to start producing as well. And then eventually they hired me full time at the corporate office here in Dallas. And for that job, I was basically working half in internal communications and half on producing the show. But when I was producing, I did step back a good bit on the hosting piece of it. And I kind of realized uh, after working there for a bit that that full-time position wasn't the right fit for me. However, it was a really good learning experience. I was able to gain a lot of experience from that and work with some very talented people who have been working in the corporate world for a long time. And I kind of got my own taste of the corporate world, which was a really good uh, experience for me. But I did decide to leave and now I'm back to doing everything freelance and just kind of bouncing around between gigs and streaming more again. And it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. I've learned a lot. So it's been good. Yeah. And again, I want to reiterate, like at this time that you're at GameStop, like it's over the last year and a half or so that you've gone through all of those experiences. You were 21. You were 20. 
I yeah, mean, it felt kind of out of place in a corporate environment. <laughs> yeah, because like when you when you look at the industry and a lot of people talk about how difficult it is to break into the industry, it's it's just mind blowing to see like someone that is 2021 20, a live streamer, a successful live streamer at that, both in the fundraising as well as just in general. You are a very uh, successful creator uh, in my personal unbiased opinion of course Thank but you. <laughs> like moving forward it's like you saw an opportunity you were already working with them you established that networking uh rapport with them and then they just said hey are you interested in this and you took it and you ran with it i mean uh, draska can we talk a little bit about your history with the industry just because uh, i know yeah. for you you were you were working as a content creator you were an artist or you're doing commissions you in fact worked <laughs> you worked on my original uh branding for my personal channel as well mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. six years ago or something a like while that. ago yeah um but yeah let's talk a little bit about your history with getting into the industry because i know this wasn't a planned topic but i just realized we're all now industry side despite being content creators ourselves yeah i um was a content creator just live streamed for a, a long chunk um and then i got hired with microsoft and i actually worked behind the scenes of live streaming for mixer so that was fun um i got to work social and really found a passion with that and now i work for tiltify doing their social and super happy with everything there yeah and can we talk a little bit about the social aspect because of course it's definitely and i could tell uh, personally but i want i want to hear from your own words uh what is the difference working social for tiltify compared to working for a big mega corporation like microsoft is there it's, restrictions stress it's definitely a lot cozier um <laughs> i can say that there's it's it's more like a family versus more corporate Sure. Um, when you're working for corporate, you're, you're, you know, like you're stuck with your P's and Q's and make sure that your I's are dotted and your T's are crossed. Right. Um, but I see a lot of passion, especially with the content creators that work with Tiltify. I see a lot of like, go get it. And more than just like my stream is live or this video game is doing this thing. There's, there's compassion, there's passion, there's, um, I don't know, I don't, that's kind of the best way to put it really. Yeah, no, I, I totally get it. I mean, it, you're also working more directly with these content creators, right? Yes, because yeah. we're like asking them for permission to use their clips. We want to talk mm -hmm. about their mm -hmm. fundraisers. Sometimes we don't even know about these fundraisers until they've already happened. So oh, yeah. we and have to look at their VODs and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's Seeing absolutely. somebody with like maybe... I don't want to say like a small community, but somebody with a cozy community sure. raise as much money as they, you know, like double as much money as they thought they were going to raise and seeing the joy and the passion that everybody puts into it is, is phenomenal. It's really fantastic. Yeah. And that, that actually really ties in really well with our big topic of this podcast, which is talking about not only collaborative fundraising, but also the compassion. So let's shift into that topic. Why not? I feel like this is a good place to kind of shift over where I want to talk about collaborative fundraising. So for our listeners at home and those watching on YouTube or anywhere else, collaborative fundraising is kind of a big word, but ultimately what we mean is actually working with other people in, in, in order to enhance that fundraising experience. Because so often, especially as content creators, if you're a creator yourself, it's a very isolating experience, right? You're on your own, you're kind of doing your own thing, and it's not really, uh, it's advantageous to work with other individuals, but when it comes to fundraising, you want to do things your own way, you want to have your incentives your own way, but folks like Meg and folks like Draskia, when they've done their fundraising, it's been a very different experience when you start getting other people involved or your family members involved. 
going back to my personal uh, fundraising effort, which is called Quest for the Cause, that started eight years ago where I just wanted to make a difference. That was actually when I started live streaming. I started live streaming back in July 2012. And in 2012, I came to Twitch because I wanted to make a difference. I had a childhood friend. Uh, she was my best friend in the entire world, and she passed away to cancer. So when I learned about that, of course, I was 14 at the time. I was heartbroken. Uh, and it completely turned my life around because I was going in a certain direction and now I wanted to make sure that I supported cancer research and I made sure that I saw a future without cancer someday. Uh, so when I came to Twitch, that was my number one goal was to, you know, do a fundraiser similar to the ones that were happening at the same time. Um, at the time it was the infamous, uh, breast cancer foundation or breast cancer research foundation. I think it was for the BCRF where man versus game and Ezekiel the third did a fundraiser. And that is actually where the Twitch global emote BC Warrior came from, uh, the one with Zeke wearing a pink wig. Um, that's the exact same event that I saw that inspired me to do my own event. So a couple months later, I did a fundraiser for the BCRF as well. And despite being a new streamer uh, six months into it at that point, uh, we were able to raise $3,500. And at the time, that was absolutely incredible. I thought we were going to raise like $500, maybe if I was really lucky and half of that would come from my mom or something like that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, to take that from 2012 and now it's developed from a, you know, just myself, a couple friends in my basement for 24 hours, it's now become a seven day long event where we're able to raise hundreds of thousands of dollars for these organizations, whatever they may be. Collaboration is a very powerful thing because one, it's exposure for broadcasters, sure, and they can become something big. But two, it's the $5,000 here, the $2,000 there. Yes, you might have someone that brings in $20,000, but whatever the case may be, you're all contributing towards something. Every dollar counts, and it kind of makes something absolutely incredible happen at the end. So collaborative fundraising is an incredible effort, but I wanted to talk to Meg first about her efforts because we mentioned Team Sin Squad, and Meg, I'd love to hear your thoughts on how Team Sin Squad started and then your adventure into fundraising for St. Jude Play Live. Sure. So originally, I kind of recognized that there were a lot of streamers that would create their own, you know, community teams, and they would primarily just kind of be a very chill, hands off sort of team where anybody in the community could join, it could be a place where other people in the community could meet each other and, and, you know, find friends within the streaming space and stuff. But the more I started to kind of put everything together for it, the more I was like, I don't want to start a project that isn't meaningful and impactful. That's just not me to like start something that's hands off like that. And so Team Sin Squad ultimately became a lot more than that and kind of transformed into a true team that was very involved. We had an application process that me and my co-manager, the wonderful Rin, she was amazing and we managed everything together. We would go through applications and we would have a lot of team activations and things like that, which was really cool because... The team was very much, you know, a huge variety of different types of broadcasters, both in terms of the content they were creating, the amount of broadcasters on the channel. We had some people that were multiple casters per channel um, and the size of, of the channel as well. And we were able to bring forth opportunities for people um, that weren't dependent on, you know, the size of the channel and things like that. Um, and that kind of carried over to our St. Jude uh, Play Live fundraiser as well. Um, and for me, that 
I immediately, as soon as I came back from my first visit to St. Jude during the St. Jude Play Live Summit that year, I was so driven and so passionate to do whatever I could on my own personal channel to raise as much money as I possibly could. Like I was like, I want to sell my soul. Like, what can I do to just raise as much money as absolutely possible? Um, And I, you know, kind of saw that we could start a team campaign and I was like, yeah, let's absolutely do this. Uh, And it wasn't a requirement to fundraise or anything, but I wrote like a long thing where I was like, here's what I experienced there. Here's why I think St. Jude is amazing. Um, Here are some awesome benefits of fundraising and we can do this as a team and, you know, let's do this. And I think ultimately I didn't really have super high expectations. I think our team goal was like $5,000 or something like that. And it ended up being super blown out of the the water with over 200,000 raised. Um, And at the time that was the highest team campaign for play live, which was crazy. And I think it meant a lot to the team because again, it was very much like a ton of broadcasters of different sizes coming together. And it was really cool for all of us to feel like, like, Hey, we were a part of that. Um, So yeah, that was crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Let's, let's talk a little bit about your compassion because Draskia, we can also bring you into this. Uh, When you talk about your experiences with St. Jude uh, in particular, I mean, you're referring to the St. Jude play live summit, right? Where, uh, for those that don't know, St. Jude has developed this program over the last six, seven years now, where they actually fly content creators out to their hospital and they show them what the hospital is actually doing. Uh, let's start with let's start with Maggie, actually, Draskia. Um, what are your experiences of that summit? Because that summit is definitely a life changing experience. But what did it mean to you? So I have three kids and going out there and seeing the children and seeing everything that the parents go through and, and stuff was what made me want to raise money for St. Jude. Um, that year, I actually joined the the Sin Squad and I actually raised um, that very first like, uh, what was it? The very first team campaign actually was my introduction into it um, but being there and seeing the passion that everyone had the passion that they wanted to put into their streams is what inspired me to you know fundraise for play live exactly like what was that five four years ago five years ago yeah four or five years ago yeah. um, and then for Meg for you in particular I remember for St. Jude Play Live, because of those efforts that you guys raised over $200,000, St. Jude actually flew like some of your members out separately from the summit, correct? Yeah, that was a really cool experience too. Um, And that kind of stemmed from me just reaching out and I knew that plus ones weren't really a thing. Like it's obviously very limited, but I was like, is there, cause my mom has always been such a big supporter of every fundraiser that I've ever done. And she's a, an RN herself. So medical causes are very near and dear to her. Um, so I was just kind of like, is there any chance that she could come with me? Totally no pressure. Totally understand if not. And they responded back and they were like, well, we can't accommodate plus ones for the summit, but what we can do is after the fundraising season has concluded, we can arrange a trip to bring out your mom and uh, a few members of your team to the hospital for a tour. And that was really cool uh, to get to see my mom's reaction to everything and to get to have her there with me. Um, And it was great for the team members as well. It was definitely challenging uh, choosing team members because we could only bring a couple. So basically what we did was we had a nomination form Um, that the other team members could fill out with someone on the team that they felt really went above and beyond to help support other members with their campaigns. Um, And ultimately, the people we chose were people who were very encouraging to other people who were doing things actively uh, in other people's streams to help them fundraise more. Uh, And that was a really, really cool experience for us to to get to go out and see it together. Yeah, no, I I really want to focus on what you just said there, because like the way that you approach your team was so unique to me. Because I, I've ran broadcasting teams in the past. I ran teams because I was a teacher before. Uh, and I've worked with a lot of students on different campaigns and whatnot. But the way that you ran it was really, it, it was really like 
wholesome, I guess, is the best word to use because you had this very uh, we're all in this together approach, not to steal a line from a certain movie that I don't want to <laughs> mention. But, you know, like the, the way that you approached it was so extremely wholesome because it was all about how we could help each other. And you encouraged everyone to work together and even just is that the important thing about collaborative fundraising to you? Like, was that one of the main advantages that you had uh, with these broadcasters? Because again, you said that you weren't aiming for $200,000, but you're aiming for maybe five, $10,000, somewhere in that range. And you, what, 20 times that goal by the end? Uh, this was a fundraising effort for 31 days. And in 31 days, you're able to raise just an insane amount of money. So is the importance of collaborative fundraising, in your opinion, like, is it a camaraderie thing? Is it a just being able to work off of each other's strengths and cover up your own weaknesses? Or what? what is it? I think both of those things kind of play into it. I think the main thing for me is getting to feel that gravity of a large group achievement altogether, especially because something that I hear so much, and you both have probably heard it as well, but you have people who say, you know, my channel is too small to do a fundraiser. I'm not going to raise a lot. Like there's no point. And at the end of the day, if you raise even a dollar for a charity, that's a dollar more than they would have had otherwise. Um, so I think when you really tap into that and, and encourage people like, Hey, we can all come together. Like we can all be a big group and raise a little bit and a little bit and a little bit, and it'll be a huge amount in the end of the day, um, is amazing. And we're all able to look at that total and, and think, you know, we were all a part of that so the camaraderie is definitely a part of that and getting to work towards a common goal as a part of a group um, not feeling alone in it and being a part of something bigger than your own channel I think are, are all really important parts of it um, there's also the motivation piece that comes with it because I think especially with a fundraiser especially something like St. Jude where a lot of people are fundraising over the course of a month you have some periods where it might be a little slow you know you might not have as many donations rolling in and it can be hard to maintain that motivation when the momentum slows down so having you know people to tap into around you can kind of keep that motivation going remind each other of why you're fundraising um and of course helping to bring exposure to each other's fundraisers as well that was a big thing there was a lot of raids happening between team members lots of co-streams and things like that and fun challenges um and if you look at it on a grander scale we had the main menu versus team sin squad uh charity showdown i can't remember the full name we had for it but it was like a an ongoing competition with incentives and challenges um and having those friendly competitions is amazing too because at the end of the day you're fighting for the same team but it really helps to get communities riled up and everybody wants to win and when you tap into that competitiveness it definitely helps to fundraise too so i think those i would say are some of the biggest things that that really helped um and something i think is important to mention too is that uh when it comes to a team campaign anybody can fundraise towards the team campaign on tiltify which is great so we had a lot of people fundraising for both the main menu and the team sin squad campaigns that were not actually on the, the stream teams but they were also able to help fight towards that total so it's great because it really brings everyone together and everybody can feel like they're a part of this regardless of whether or not they're actually on the team regardless of channel size um and yeah it really does kind of come down to that we're all in this together not to reference a, an unnamed movie again, uh, but it does come down to that mindset for me, I think. For sure. No, I, I agree. And especially referring back to that Team Sin Squad versus Main Menu thing, I remember when we were first planning it, we ended up saying, Meg, you go lead Team Sin Squad and we will somehow survive because Team Sin Squad was definitely <laughs> a collaborative effort. Like it's a community team as it is, right? You had dozens and dozens of members, whereas Main Menu mm -hmm. had seven. So we... <laughs> 
even though, and that that's the other thing that we can refer to because yeah, we had seven really strong broadcasters and big broadcasters. Whereas for Team Sin Squad, you had dozens of people just like raring to just like get at our throats for this because they uh -huh. wanted to destroy us. I remember I received a couple messages from some of your <laughs> members and they were... They were tastefully aggressive. Like, I, I appreciated it because they knew, like, we were personal friends. They knew that they could go on social media and talk mm -hmm. all this trash about how, oh, we're going to destroy you. And I'm like, oh, please, whatever. We'll see what happens. And then we end up getting to it. And you had, like, 40-some-odd fundraisers happening versus our, like, <laughs> five. Um, and, yes, we still had members from our communities coming in. So it ended up being a little bit more fair. But at the end of the day, I mean... You guys raised two hundred thousand dollars. Main menu still raised about forty, fifty grand that year, which was impressive in its own right. But I, I know that some of your members also credited the fact that they were going against us. That that was their motivation. So yeah, even though you had the uh, camaraderie amongst the actual team members and trying to work as a community, you had a couple folks that were like, "I want to destroy these broadcasters." Yes, out of the goodness or of their heart. Specifically, I want to destroy Casper. Yes, that that's ultimately <laughs> what it was because you and me have had this rivalry for well, yeah. a rivalry, a friendly rivalry for a yeah. while. So when Meg tells her community and her fellow broadcasters and team members that she wants to destroy me then that just motivates everyone apparently <laughs> yes um so i mean hey key. you find motivation in strange ways sometimes when it comes to fundraising whether it's personal like draskia and your kid like you have kids you care about them very much you are one of the most loving moms i know in the universe um so i know Thank that saint, i know that saint jude means a lot to you uh and then for meg of course it, it's just it's the whole compassion thing there and then for me it's it's actually unique because when I talk about St. Jude, I've been fundraising for them ever since year one of their program. Uh, not too many people can actually say that uh, because I'm old and because I've known them forever. But it's also the fact that I've known them for so long, they actually invited me to actually talk at their St. Jude Play Live Summit. So this summit is a two to three day long uh, adventure where all these content creators go to the campus of St. Jude Children's Research Hospital and we get to see the hospital. We get to meet some of the patients, interact with them. Uh, some of us are lucky enough to actually make dinner for them. Um, I got to experience that firsthand. But this last year in 2019, they actually asked me to give a speech and they wanted me to talk about what St. Jude meant to me. And that is something that is it's still to this day the most <laughs> stressful, the most anxious I've ever felt in my entire life. Because I got to share my story of how I, I lost a friend as a, as a child and how I also suffered from cancer-related illnesses. And it was just that in and of itself motivated me because that was the first time I've actually shared that story publicly. Uh, and I got to share it with my peers. Like These are folks that uh, have raised millions of dollars for St. Jude over the uh, five, six, seven years now. And I got to stand up on that stage and be like, hey, I... I'm really nervous, but this is why this hospital means so much to me, and this is why it should mean so much to you guys. Um, and that was just such a unique experience. And not to say that other charities listening, this is something you should definitely do, but this is just the importance of that compassion and the importance of really tapping into your communities and making them realize, hey, we don't want you to necessarily fundraise for us if you don't care about our cause. And if you find the folks that are passionate about your cause, you're going to have even better results. Because I know for me, after giving that talk, yes, I've always done well with fundraising for St. Jude. But after being able to talk to my peers about that, 
I was suddenly a million times more motivated because it reinvigorated my passion for it. Let's move on because I'm going to cry if we continue talking about this topic. Um, I want to talk about something that Meg actually mentioned there when she was talking about her family. Um, so she mentioned, you mentioned, sorry, that uh, your mom is a really big part of your life, just in general, I'm sure. Um, and you really wanted her to actually see the hospitals. That's how important that was. But I know that for your charity fundraisers, you actually get your family involved pretty directly. Yeah. And they are so great because they are so down to do anything, especially my brother. My dad will be like reluctant about certain <laughs> things, but my brother's like, yep, let's go. Let's do it. Like he is down to do anything. Uh, and my community loves my family. They are always excited when they're on stream. Uh, and it's always just a lot of fun because obviously, you know, I'm, I'm very close with all of them and it's cool to have them involved in that part of my life. And I think it means a lot to them also to get to be involved in something that is supporting such an important cause. Some examples of some of the things that we've done. One of my personal favorites is when we did Twitch Sings and my dad was singing Push It and we were actually on the front page at the time. Uh, and we had like thousands of viewers and it was, I was laughing so hard. It was amazing. Uh, at one point, we had a build a pizza incentive where people could donate for different pizza toppings. Uh, it ended up being a really nasty, gross pizza. And my mom and my brother and I ate it together. Uh, I was trying really hard not to puke because it was so gross, but I somehow made it through. Uh, we've also done hot sauce shots together. At one point, my brother and dad did each other's makeup. Um, and then at another time, uh, me, my brother and my dad, we did like it was called punk edits IRL, but basically, you know how people used to edit their profile pictures to look like punk with like fake tattoos and stuff. <laughs> we did that, but in real life. So we put on like fake tattoos and eyeliner and piercings and it was, it was just a lot of fun. Um, so it, it definitely helps, I think, to tap into those kinds of things, like whether it's your family or friends that you have that live nearby, because um, it's a good way to mix things up, I think, especially when you've done a lot of fundraisers over the years. Uh, I'm sure you both can relate. It gets harder and harder to come up with new ideas and things you haven't done before for incentives and such. So um, tapping into your family and your friends is a great way to, to get something new and have like a multi-person kind of incentive. Yeah. Um, and then we also did Toys for Tots as well. Um, that was a very different kind of fundraiser for me. And we did it two years in a row. Uh, well, technically three, but the third year was a little bit different. Uh, but the first two, we basically fundraised, took the money to Toys R Us and bought as many toys as we could uh, so that I could film the process of actually getting the toys and donating them to Toys for Tots so that people who donated to my fundraiser could really see the impact that their money was making. Because um, it's easy to look at it and be like, oh, $5 is like not a big donation when it, it is impactful um, and they could see in the video, you know, oh, well, my $5 could have been the $5 that bought, you know, that toy that she just added to the cart. Uh, and that fundraiser would absolutely not have been possible without my family's help. Uh, we needed a lot of manpower. It was a lot of toys to carry and to transport. Uh, my dad drove the truck. We, we all loaded it up together. It was carts and carts full of toys. So having them on board for that was very, very helpful as well. Yeah, I remember watching the actual videos that you put together for those ones. And it's always mind blowing because I've, I've actually watched that video a couple times now uh, of, I think, the last one that you did uh, where mm -hmm. you guys just went to the Toys R Us. Uh, may they rest in peace. Uh, and yeah. you you walked around and you just chose all the different toys. And it was just uh, it, it. What was that feeling like knowing that you were able to purchase just all these things and you knew it was going to a great cause and you got to physically actually deliver it directly to the charity themselves? Right. Yeah. Um, the first note is that it is like a childhood dream come true to go into Toys R Us with a multiple thousand dollar budget. <laughs> That's definitely very fun to be like, I'll pick that and that. Give me five of those. Um, so that was definitely a lot of fun. But 
uh, aside from the fun part of it, it's also really cool to get to actually physically see a representation of what we raise in front of us. Um, that it, It's just insane because you'll see like, oh, $5,000, that's amazing. But when you see $5,000 of toys in front of you, it's a lot more toys than you'd think, especially because toys are so expensive. Um, you're like, wow, that's that's a lot. Uh, and getting to donate, it was great too. Um, we got to meet a lot of the amazing folks at Toys for Tots. And uh, we even in the video towards the end, we had a little interview piece with them kind of about uh, how much of an impact this makes and how it helps. Um, and one year I actually got to go to the toy shop aside from the video and aside from everything we've done. So I got to volunteer. Um, and basically I was volunteering as like a personal shopper. So when families would come in to pick out toys for their kids, um, I would get to kind of direct them and help them navigate through the store. Um, and I could actually see some of these families picking out toys and, and things that we had bought and bringing it home for their family. So getting to meet them was really cool. Uh, one moment that I won't forget is when there was a mom who she found a, a stuffed plushie from the movie Cars. Right. And apparently her son really loved Cars. And she just started like she had tears in her eyes and she was so emotional. And she was like, he loves Cars so much. He's This is going to mean so much to him. I'm so happy. I can't believe I found this. Uh, and I just wanted to go back to Toys R Us and buy that lady like a ton of car stuff because it was so touching to get to see how much it meant to her. Um, and so getting that, that, you know, in-person experience definitely drove my motivation more. And it was really cool because I was able to show it to my community as well and help them see the impact that they were making. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, this rolled back to that whole compassion thing, just being able to listen mm -hmm. to you talk about these things. Like these are, these are projects that you worked on years ago too. Um, and just the fact that you can just talk so passionately about it, like, yeah, you, you knew we were going to ask you about these things. Sure. But <laughs> Like, it's just, it's so important to have that compassion. And whether it's seeing the impact that you can have directly right in front of your eyes to, you know, more personal things. Um, the last uh, fundraiser that I did want to touch on was po possibly the most personal one that you had. And it was for your cousin, Samantha, if you don't mind talking about it. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I think it's definitely an important one. So um, hopefully I don't get too choked up here. I'll try. But uh, I lost my cousin, Sam, to suicide um shortly after twitchcon a couple of years ago and it was really shocking um it was definitely very hard for my family and very hard for her parents as well um and when i was at you know the services and everything it was very hard for me to see my family dealing with this loss it was very hard to see them so heartbroken um and while i was sitting there i couldn't stop thinking like what can i do to fix this uh and i think one of the hardest things with that kind of loss is you can't undo it there's nothing you can really do to fix it but i kept thinking is there something i can do to to help them uh and while i was sitting there i had the idea of what if i did you know a fundraiser in her name um to help spread her message because she was uh an art teacher and she was known in her school for being one of those teachers that kids could go to with their with their stories um and the things they needed help with and um at her funeral, uh, they one of her students came up and talked about how Sam saved their life and they were suicidal and Sam was able to to help them get through that. So um, she was very much about helping other people who were fighting many of the battles that she was. And so I wanted to help my family extend uh, her impact in that way. And uh, one of the things that my aunt was really scared of is people forgetting her, which of course they're not going to. How could they? I never will. But 
it's it's hard when you're going through that to to see that. So I wanted to help show show her that. Um, and doing the fundraiser was a really good way, I think, to help my family, especially because we had my in person, you know, immediate family involved. All of my extended family was watching, and it really brought my family together in an interesting way because we're all over the country, but everybody was tuned in. Uh, different family members were donating, and uh, they all got to laugh at my dad singing "Push It." So um, I think it was uplifting in that way, but it was also uh, cool because we had uh, some of Sam's art on display. Um, we got to see, they had her art students create art, basically expressing their emotions about the loss of her. So we were showing some of that on stream. Um, and we also did a merch campaign with some of her art on it, uh, with the proceeds of that benefiting AS AFSP as well. So it was very meaningful to me and really special to me and to my family, but it was also uh, an amazing way to bring people together over something that was very personal to me um, and hear a lot of stories. One of the really touching things was to hear uh, in the donation messages, so many people opening up, sharing their stories because they were able to see through this fundraiser how important it is to speak up about mental health. Um, and so they were talking about their own losses or things that they dealt with personally. Um, and it was definitely an emotional day for us, but very touching to see so many people coming together. Uh, and I think it really helped to showcase the lasting impact that Sam will always have on, on the world for sure. Yeah, and something that you talked about there was the actual personal stories. And it's not just from your family, it's actually from the donors, your community members, mm -hmm. um, broadcasters and content creators. We always brag, I guess is the word. We always brag about how close we are with our communities. The fact that we've definitely built a community. It's not just, I'm the entertainer and you're a viewer. It's an actual community of love and support. And I think some of the best fundraisers, the best content creators at fundraising are the ones that have really built that rapport with their community. And I think that's where we can see these, you know, cozy, uh, these cozy communities, these smaller communities that, you know, might have five, 10 people, but they're still able to raise hundreds, if not thousands of dollars for these causes, because they are expressing their compassion about this topic, about this cause, about this organization. And they, in turn, their community members are like, that really resonates with me. So I know that during your fundraiser, and I'm sure Draskia, you as well as myself, whenever we fundraise for any cause that we're passionate about, the stories come flooding in. I mean, it, it, whether it's for an animal shelter, we all have pets or a lot of us have mm -hmm. pets, we can talk about that. Um, may, maybe it's a cancer research foundation, like for myself and my loss with it. Whatever the case may be, it's like our compassion reaches out to our community and our community just starts sharing those stories and they want to share those stories. And I know people that, you know, they feel like they can't donate, they can't afford it. We never want to force them to go outside of their comfort zones, but they'll donate a dollar. They'll find that dollar. They'll donate it just so that they can share their story with you. And I think that's just a really powerful thing to kind of take away from today's topic of collaborative fundraising and compassion. And it's that everyone has a story to share. And our story, the more passionate we're about it, uh, the bigger the result or the potentially bigger result, I guess, is what I want to kind of get out of that. No, yeah, I think that was beautifully stated. Uh, and I definitely think having any sort of personal connection, it definitely shows through. Um, and it can be scary, I think, sometimes to talk about some of the things that you're sensitive about, especially with a topic for me like the AFSP. It was I was scared to talk about it. But once I did, it helped me, I think, a lot with the healing that comes with that. But it also really helped my community to see a different side of me and a different part of my life that really helped to fuel that passion for the fundraiser. So 
For sure. And it's it's like a it's a vulnerability thing, right? Because mm -hmm. as creators, we are always terrified of being vulnerable in front of our community members, uh, at least at the beginning, I feel, because mm -hmm. we want we're that shining light in many people's lives. We hear it all the time that, oh, I was having a really bad day, but I got to watch your stream and now I'm so much happier. And it, thank you for making my day type things like we see comments like that all the time. And it's hard for us to realize that one, we're also human, but then two, our community also has to realize that we're also human. So, you know, you, you see it on social media all the time where sometimes you have to tweet certain things. Sometimes you have to talk about certain things and you have to be aware that it, we are, uh, I don't want to say on a pedestal, but we are viewed by many people and they are looking at what we're saying and what we're doing. And while on one hand we want to be like, Hey, we're all sunshine and all rainbows all the time, but on the other side, that that very human, uh, that humanistic kind of approach to it, where once we separate the entertainer from the person, is that the right approach to being a content creator? Or is the right approach being, you know, a person that they can relate to? And I think through charity fundraising, that's definitely a great place to kind of reveal that other side of you, because then they realize, hey, you're the same as me. We put our pants on one leg at a time uh, <laughs> and we have feelings and emotions. And I think once we as content creators kind of open up about that, we can start seeing better results uh, from our fundraising, not necessarily because we want better results, but because they can now relate to us and understand where we're coming from. Let's move into kind of our final topic for this, uh, this episode number two of The Joy of Fundraising, a Tiltify podcast. Uh, it's questions. We have questions from the community and uh, we have a couple here for Meg in particular, but we can both actually answer them as well between Draskin and myself. Uh, but we'll start with Meg. Uh, this one is from Cernum and he says, what are some of the most above and beyond fundraising incentives you have done or seen someone do to motivate their community to donate? Yeah, so this is a really great question and a challenging one because there are so, so, so many good ones. Um, I think in general, I always respect people facing a fear or eating something that they don't like, um, especially for me as a picky eater. <laughs> um, I think for me personally in my fundraisers, the thing that I felt was like the the biggest one for me or the one that I was most like, oh, I can't believe I did that um, was I have. So I should preface this by saying I have a fear of birds. I think they're really like creepy and scary. And even if I even if it's like pigeons, like I have one memory of just standing in New York City and screaming because I was surrounded by pigeons. Oh, no. I just find them really scary and I know a lot of people love them so no worries if you love them but I think they're evil demon creatures um <laughs> <laughs> so I did for a stretch goal for St. Jude I did a bird release where we basically had a guy who he, he mostly uses it for weddings um I think he was still a little confused about like what we were actually doing but <laughs> my mom wrote a beautiful speech which was really nice and we did an IRL stream where I had to release like these birds and my face was just my face in the gif of that situation was uh kind of funny because I looked so scared but um, that was my probably biggest one. And we also had, uh, one of my mods, Erica, and one of my other mods, John, um, they both got tattoos of the cookie logo, uh, combined with Erica's has a little butterfly on it and it's combined with the St. Jude logo. And they both got those. So that's like crazy to me cause it's permanently on their bodies. Um, so they both got those for stretch goals for St. Jude as well. Um, and I think outside of that, just again, anybody, like doing anything really daring. Uh, Daniel the Demon pops into mind for me oh, because no. he's done a lot of really crazy extreme stuff. Like I remember him having, it wasn't like anything really like scary, but uh, he had like the, 
the things that they put in your mouth at the dentist to stretch your mouth yeah, open. Mouth and he was doing Disney karaoke. Uh, and that was really funny. Um, he also ate, I think at some point he ate something really spicy to the point where it made him like ill. And I was like, that's not good. Don't do that. But uh, it's the fact that he was willing to like do something that he was really scared of was really admirable, I think, for me. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's always trying to think of what will put you slightly about outside of your comfort zone because but not too much, but not too much. <laughs> I mean, there's some people that come to mind that I shall not name uh, that do certain incentives <laughs> that are insane and wild. And I would never actually suggest to anyone. But uh, for creators, it's like, what is something that you normally wouldn't do? Or what is something that you used to do that you no longer do that people kind of want to see? Um, that's a great way to approach it. And for me in particular, goodness, what do I, I hate horror games. I absolutely despise oh, them. Yeah. I am Ooh. scared of them. Uh, even for like, uh, events where I have to play a horror game. I like, I, I just tip throw tiptoe through it all. I'm like, I'm like this the entire time. <laughs> uh, like it, it's awful. And I will play horror games. I will, uh, eat certain things. It, it's, uh, it's awful. One person that comes to mind for me uh, is a broadcaster named Ilion. I believe that's his, that's how you pronounce it. He actually rated me the other day. Fun fact. But um, he primarily streams Magic the Gathering, but he plays other games as well. Uh, but he is notorious for hating pickles. Like, he absolutely <laughs> hates pickles. And what he actually created was something called the Pickle Challenge, where every X amount of dollars, I think the first year that he did it, it was like a 5 or $10 incentive where he would spin a wheel and over half the options were actually eat a pickle or something along those lines. And then oh, no. other things, yeah, other options were on no. there as well. But he would have to eat pickles. And it was always so hilarious because he hated them so much. Uh, and he ended up raising thousands of dollars in this fundraiser. And at the time, he was much smaller, too. Um, these days, he's a little bit bigger, so he does even better. But back in the day, it was like, I didn't even know who he was four or five years ago. And he's ending up turning out like $5,000, $10,000 uh, fundraisers, which again absolutely incredible amount i mean 500 is already an incredible amount really so to see 5,000 out of that is just wild uh draskia can you think of anything that either you've done or you've seen that is just above and beyond i ate uh half a ghost pepper for oh my god uh, charity at twitchcon that was a fun one um i have been pied i have had a confetti cannon go off in my office um oh, no. i love horror games but i'm horrible at them so i tend to put extra scary alerts and stuff on for me um i have seen people online especially working the tiltify social i've seen people shave their beards oh, yeah. seen people shave their heads i've seen people shave their eyebrows i've seen people eat the bean boozled the oh yeah gosh. yeah i love those um, yeah it's been it's been phenomenal seeing what people will do to raise money and Yes, those. Yeah. They're no. awful. <laughs> they're they're within arm's reach at all times too. That's the worst part. I haven't been I, my guest store. <laughs> I have never done them, but I think this year that will change. So. Oh man. They're gross. Yeah. Uh, I but have no, to I've say seen people do some some phenomenal things and just what the human person can go through for change is is amazing. It's phenomenal. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. And just a note on bean boozled jelly beans. Uh, I know many charity executives. So charities, if you're listening to this podcast, I know many charity executives and there's one that comes to mind in particular. He has gone on record to tweet that Bean Boozled Jelly Beans have changed the game for live stream fundraising, period. Like that is an actual quote he has said because it's true. It's these like this canister right here that has 
maybe 100 beans in it and probably 80 of them taste like awful flavors uh, <laughs> it's like five bucks and this can raise thousands mm -hmm. of dollars for charity like it, it's absolutely incredible for those that don't know bean boozled um there's uh 20 flavors but 10 of them are awful and 10 of them are not so awful uh and there's two of each color so each color has a good bean and a bad bean so it's russian roulette but with bad flavors and we're not talking like, oh, that's disgusting. It, it, it's broccoli. No, it's like it's dead fish. Barf. It's barf. Dead it's fish. Stinky socks. It's moldy cheese. Ew. Like the person, have you ever actually watched a video of them making these? It's just why? Why did you ever think of this idea? And why are you For also <laughs> so brilliant? I, I don't even know if, uh, is it Jelly Belly that makes them? Uh, yeah. yeah, I wonder yes. if they know. Yeah. I wonder if they know that charities, like, they love this stuff <laughs> because of that. <laughs> it's insane. All right, we've got one more question uh, from the community. It's from Carla, and she writes, uh, what are some tips on how to bring more viewers into your charity streams? I mean, this is this is something that I struggle with as well still to this day. Uh, Meg, we'll start with you. Yeah, so that can definitely be a challenge, I think, especially when, um, you know, it's the same community that you're tapping into, because at the end of the day, like there's only so much that can be donated from a certain pool of people. So um, I think for me in the past, what's been really effective is doing uh, kind of going back to like the team stuff and some of the the stuff that we talked about earlier. Um, but co-streams are great and you don't even have to be on a team with people. I also did a charity challenge with Not Jen and Little Siha where um, we had one stream stream where we I can't I can't no it was uh I, it didn't have to do with the game we were playing golf with your friends for fun but what we were doing was we were seeing which community could raise the most by the end of the stream uh and whoever raised the most got to tell the person the leader of the community who uh raised the least what they would have to do oh no um, and so I got to tell little Siha to eat a spoonful of marmite <laughs> oh, no. which oh my god I've had that stuff too and it's I don't know how people eat it I just I think you're supposed to put it on bread or something and not just yeah. eat a spoonful of it but uh it's so strong and I'm not a fan of it personally but she was like coughing and struggling but that was a really cool way to get cross exposure I think for all of us on each other's streams on each other's campaigns um so I think doing collaborative stuff like that is great uh, you could also reach out to the charity that you're fundraising for because sometimes they'll have um, opportunities to get on the front page and stuff like that. Um, St. Jude has been able to do that. Twitch was able to help me out with that for some of my other fundraisers. Um, I also did a crisis text line fundraiser where we had front page uh, as a part of that. So that's been very, very helpful for me because that's a really good chance to get new eyes on what you're doing. So um, reaching out to the charity, I think, is great, too. Yeah, no, I, I think reaching out to the charity, seeing if they have any opportunities for that, because as these charities are starting to build their community um, programs that they're doing, uh, they do get more and more opportunities to be like, hey, they're doing a charity fundraiser. We have this uh, program going on currently. So they now have a couple hours on the front page. It exposes you to a gigantic crowd. Um, the same thing happens with these collaborative events like GDQ. So games done quick. Uh, I know Quest for the Cause we get front page as well. So maybe it's a collaborative effort that you're taking part in uh, and signing up for. I know that a lot of people for Quest for the Cause in particular, like our signup numbers have gone down over the years, but at the same time, we have so many new faces signing up each and every single year that we have folks that took part for their first time in our eighth annual event, which was back in 2019. So uh, opportunities like that, it's if you're passionate about it, if it's for a cause that you really care about, you know, taking part in those things is definitely a great way. And then, uh, like Meg said, uh, the collaboration is always really interesting to me um, because you kind of get that cross-contamination of our communities. And one that comes to mind is always 
who was a domestic Dan and Danica Rockwood. I think they did yeah. a cosplay of each other or something. And they so they good. screamed dressed up as the other person completely and tried to mimic their mannerisms. And it was ridiculous. And it, it was always a great time. So things like that, like if you start making mini events or mini experiences, as I like to call them, for folks to kind of tune into even if they're a regular viewer of yours they're definitely going to watch that and if they're a new viewer of yours or they don't even know who you are and they hear about it they want to watch that as well because that's just silly um Draskia, does anything come to your mind for for that yeah actually um a social media is a huge i don't know a gold mine for getting people to come to streams and allowing people to share um the word of what you're doing i don't want to say for free because you know time is money but for very little effort whether it's uh sharing on twitter or instagram or tiktok or facebook it any of those platforms are um, super valuable and super handy. You can reach a lot of people that can't make it to the stream, that can't um, be there then. Maybe they'll donate later. It's very, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, no, for sure. I think social media is such a great topic, and I think we're going to have an episode just dedicated to social media, and myself Yay. and Draskia can just talk the entire time. Um, but yeah, no, social media is an incredible thing, and especially with the creations of things like TikTok, actually, like I've seen so many communities get involved in that way. And even though TikTok doesn't have anything built in directly for charity, um, just being able to make these videos, like it, it's that whole Vine effect, right? Where Vine was just super popular, you know, seven second videos. And it's just, it goes viral so easily. It's seven seconds of your life that you're dedicating to this and that's it. And that all of a sudden gets you interested in what they do. You build a following from there. You have just all these different platforms that you can access to that you have access to and it, it all just amalgamates into this one amazing charity experience yeah for sure i think social platforms are a great way to approach it but that being said i think that is it for episode number two of the joy of fundraising a tiltify podcast i want to give a very special thank you to meg kaylee our lovely friend for joining us on this episode and again it's episode two so like a billion people are going to listen to this so thank you for oh my god thank you for agreeing to taking on the pressure of that uh also to maggie draskia as well for her very first episode joining us as well uh and of course she'll be back in many episodes to come and meg we'll have you back as well if you ever want to come back and talk about oh, other I'd topics love to. awesome uh but uh let's give uh, meg a chance to give any shout outs do you have any shout outs that you want to give to your communities out there anything that you're up to Yes, please go to Tiltify.com, browse all of the wonderful charities on there, and start a fundraiser. Uh, but if you want to keep up with me, you can follow me at twitch.tv slash Meg Kaylee. Uh, and on all other platforms, I am Meg underscore Kaylee, because another Meg Kaylee has it without the underscore. So yes. I have a really cool underscore in the middle. That is true. It is my <laughs> favorite underscore. Uh, absolutely fantastic. And of course, Meg, you're going to be taking part in St. Jude Play Live in a couple months, of course, uh, starting yes. in May. And uh, that'll be a lot of fun. We've got some plans on the back end for that, I'm sure. But we won't talk about that here because that's spoilers. Uh, Draskia, are there any shout outs you want to give out? I uh, just want to remind people that we have very active Twitter. So if anybody has any questions or anything to hit us up, uh, we are we are Tiltify on Twitter and we are Tiltify on Instagram. Yes, for sure. Hit us up with all of that stuff. And again, if you want to submit questions for any of our future podcasts, please do using the hashtag Tiltify2020 so that yes. we have questions for our future guests. We announce them on our Twitter as well so you can get a hold of us there and find out who's coming up next 
Speaking of who com who's coming up next for episode number three, we actually have Kenley, who is one of the uh, program directors over at the Seattle Online Broadcasters Association. Uh, we'll be talking about grassroots events. So we talked about GDQ. We talked about Quest for the Cause. We're going to be talking about even more stuff like that uh, in our upcoming episodes. But that is it for us here for episode number two of The Joy of Fundraising. Thank you very much for tuning in, and we will see you next time. <laughs>